You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. Today we're going to begin what's a three-week mini-series. I was only going to do one message. I was tasked months ago to do one message uh, today on the theme of stewardship and then to uh, start off teaching through the book of Ecclesiastes next week. But as I got into this, I felt like, you know what, I'd really like to give some background to the concept of stewardship. And so that led from one message into three. And so this is a little mini-series called Entrusted, How Biblical Stewardship Changes Our View of everything. And today will kind of be a, a, a view at like maybe 30,000 feet, not ground level. So it'll be a little bit big picture background, a little bit theological at points. Some, some of you will love, say that's, well, that's the messages I'm looking for. Some of you will say, hey, he didn't really give us enough to do. It wasn't tangible enough. So, uh, you know, uh, I, hope, I hope there'll be something in it for everybody, even if this is not your preferred style uh, of a sermon. Um, Usually, in church, when you hear the word stewardship, uh, you think, man, hang on to your wallet because they're about to ask for some money. And uh, that's not what we're doing here. Uh, but that, that's because oftentimes it's called the stewardship campaign or something like that when the church is uh, doing fundraising, maybe to build a building or something like that. Uh, we talk a lot about oftentimes at church stewardship at that time. And while I will address in this three-week series, I will address the topic uh, of giving. That is really a very small part of what biblical stewardship is all about. Stewardship is rooted in the idea of ownership, specifically God's ownership. It's that God owns everything. And you see this, this theme of stewardship in the Bible. Um, it, it plays off a, a function that we don't have quite as regularly accessible to us in our culture. We don't use the word steward um, or stewardship so much. Um, but in, in the biblical culture, a steward was someone who managed the resources for another. Sometimes it was a slave that managed the resources for uh, their master. But what, what it meant was that the, the owner um, owned everything, and then the steward was responsible to manage the, uh, the field, uh, if it was a rural uh, you know, farm or something like that, or to manage the household uh, or to manage the business. In other words, they didn't own the field. Uh, it wasn't their employees that worked the field. It was the owners. Uh, they didn't own the house, but they were responsible to take all of these things that belonged to the owner and use them the best way possible, the way the owner would want them used, to uh, make a uh, you know make a, a profit if it was a business or to bring order and fruitfulness if it was home management or something like that and so the reality is our entire lives are based on this concept of stewardship God's own God owns everything and then he gives things to us to use for him things like our finances our gifts our abilities our time he gives us time and so we have another day. We made it to another day today. So this is a day 
that he's given us. He gives us relationships and opportunities. He gives us homes and jobs and uh, all of these things are things that he gives us and trusts to us to use for his glory. And as Jesus teaches in the Gospels, I think specifically like the parable of the talents and a few others, as Jesus teaches in the Gospels, uh, as stewards, we will give an account to God, the owner of everything, for how we use uh, the things that he has given us. So that is the idea of stewardship. And to really understand a theology of stewardship, we really need to go back to the beginning, to creation. So today I'm going to be talking about this theme. Stewardship starts with creation. There at the very first verse of the Bible, we are confronted with God, with this incomprehensible reality that the creator and the creation are, uh, are completely different, that the creator is so much greater than everything that has been created. There's a, a difference uh, incomprehensible difference between the creator and the creation, between God and me. And as Christians, we all affirm that God is the creator. We say that in the Apostles' Creed, don't we? I believe in God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth. So as Christians, we uh, affirm that God is the creator. But I don't think we really consider very often I don't think we really consider the implications of that, the the so what. So God created everything. So what difference does that make for how we view everything? And this morning we'll be looking at the opening verses of the Bible to see how they really lay a foundation for our understanding of everything. And they provide the basis for our understanding of stewardship. And here's what we're going to talk about and learn today is that creation signifies God's ownership. And God's ownership signifies our stewardship. Creation signifies that God owns everything. And the reality that God owns everything signifies that we use, manage what he has entrusted to us for his glory. So we're going to look at verses 1 and 2, the first page of your Bible, verses 1 and 2 of Genesis chapter 1. This is the opening to the whole storyline of scripture. This is God's word to us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. I want to start by looking at this and making the point, number one, that the focus of creation is God. The focus of creation is God. He is at the center of the entire biblical story, and it starts at the very beginning with the work of creation. I think the name of God is used 35 times in the first chapter. So it is very clear that from the get-go, this book is about God. Uh, We also see that in the first sentence, that the subject of the first verse of the Bible, the subject is God. Both grammatically, God created, he's the subject, created is the verb, but also thematically. This is about what God has done, what God has chosen to do. And and though it's obvious that the Bible is about God, though it's obvious that it starts 
with God, though all of that is obvious, I think the reality is that we often don't read the Bible that way, that it's about God, that it's the story of God. We often read it like a self-help book, uh, seeking to get a truth here and a promise there and an idea there so that we can live a better life, that this book gives us good ideas and good plans and good promises to improve our daily living, that, that we read it like, like we are the focus almost, that, we, that this book is written primarily uh, just to meet whatever needs that we may bring to it during the day. But the reality is the Bible is a revelation about God. That's what the whole book is about. And you and I need nothing more than to know this God. I, we are starving for a knowledge of God. We're starving to see the glory of Christ. We're starving to see the power and experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we may not realize that. We may not know that's what we're starving for. But like a person who needs good nutrition for one's health, we often just think, well, I'm just hungry for a bag of chips. Uh, I'm just hungry for some ice cream. So we think we, we, we think we have hungers for so many other things, but what our body needs is sound nutrition. And what our soul needs is a revelation of God, no matter what appetite we think we have. What we most need is a revelation of who God is and what he's done. And that's why it starts in the beginning, God. Starts with God. Now, we, as we encounter these opening words, uh, we have to humble ourselves because we're just four words in, in the beginning, God, in the English, we're just four words in to the Bible and we're already in the deep end of the pool and someone yanked off our floaties. Uh, we're already way over our head. No one can fully comprehend. Wait a minute, at the beginning, God was already there. What? We, we can't even comprehend what that means with our minds. It's beyond our ability. From the very beginning of the Bible, we bump up against mystery in the first verse of the Scripture because it doesn't tell us what was happening before the beginning. And so immediately we can sort of feel our creatureliness that, wow, we're, we're really small compared to, to God. And that's good. God wants us to feel that. We, we need to... Keep that same feeling as we read through all of Scripture. That's a good thing. Now, though we can't fully understand the beginning and what all happened there, we can draw some basic conclusions about God from these first five words in the beginning God created. We can draw some conclusions. One is that the Bible starts by telling us God is eternal. Eternal. God is the only one present at the grand opening of the universe. Someone has said, God is there in the beginning. God is there before the beginning. God is there without a beginning. There is no beginning of God. He is just present. He is just there because he is eternal. That's explained to us elsewhere in scripture. Psalm 90 verse two says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Before God formed the earth, he was everlasting to everlasting. That is, no beginning, no end, just always God has been eternal. Everything has a beginning but God. And so we see that he is categorically different from the creation. 
And this is important because from the beginning we see that God is, we're, we're, we're making a case that God is lofty, God is transcendent, God is above us, God is beyond us, um, that he is the ultimate in the universe. So the first verse of scripture directs our heart in sort of this trajectory towards awe for God, awe of God, and we're meant to carry that as we move through the scripture. But God is not only eternal, he's also self-existent, that is, Everything's created but God. God exists in and of himself. He's, God is uncreated. God is independent. And we are created and we are dependent upon God. This, this, goes, this begins to get at the heart of stewardship. That we depend on God. That, that we are accountable to God. God is only accountable to himself, but we are all accountable to God. He is self-existent. Without me, God exists. Without God, nothing exists but God. Everything is created by him. Everything is dependent on him. Everyone is accountable to him. He exists in and of himself. He doesn't need anyone else. He doesn't need us but we need him. So God is self-existent. Lastly, God is omnipotent. That is all-powerful is what the word means. And God's power in this passage is beyond anything we can imagine. God's power is beyond anything we can fully describe. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this particular verb created here, it's unique in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament. For there are other words that speak of creation, but this word is only used with God as its subject. Only used. So when this verb for created is used in the Old Testament, it is only used with God before it, God as the subject. Because it, it carries the idea of God bringing into existence what previously did not exist. So it doesn't, it doesn't mean create like working like you have some clay and you form it and create something from it. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean working from existing materials. It means to create uh, something out of nothing, or in this case, everything out of nothing, which is the ultimate power that God creates everything. We're created in his image, so we're to be creators too, but we work with the stuff he's created. We work with what he gives us. So this gets at the heart of stewardship as well, that we can't create out of nothing. If I walk over to you and I'm holding this, this big handful of nothing and I bring it over to you, and there's some science lady or some science guy in the room who's going to say, well, that's not really nothing. There's atoms. And, okay, I got you. I, I'm, I'm with you. Okay, but just for the sake of illustration, um, calm down. So I'm handing, I'm, I'm handing you nothing. And I say, okay, make something out of that. You can't make anything out of that. Only God can do that. So we're called to work and to create. We're called to have ideas and speech and tangible work, working with what God has created, what God has given to us. He is all-powerful. We are very limited in the powers that we have. Um, and he did all of this out of nothing. Other places of Scripture affirm this as well. Psalm 33, which we read at the beginning of the service. Psalm 33, verses 6 and 9 say, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. For he spoke, and it came to be. 
He commanded and it stood firm. God spoke and what was not there came to be. Astounding. None of us can do that. Uh, Regardless of what prosperity theology teaches, you cannot speak things into existence uh, by yourself. Only God does that. Hebrews 11 Verse 3 says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So God has created everything out of what is unseen. So this first verse of the Bible brings us face to face with God who is in a category all by himself. He is eternal and self-existent. That is, he creates us, he's without beginning or end, he creates us. We have a beginning. He is independent. We are dependent. We are contingent upon him. We need him. He doesn't need us. Um, He is uh, completely other. He creates everything by his power out of nothing. And we're called to work and create with what he has already created. So this unveils sort of the supremacy of God And it provides really some sort of realities for us to consider that God is independent, uh, that God creates, and that we are the creation. We are answerable to him. We are dependent upon him. The second truth I want to talk about is not only is creation really focused on God, but it's, it's what I mentioned earlier, that creation signifies God's ownership. That because God created everything out of nothing, God owns everything. We find this in Psalm 24. Psalm 24, verse 1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That means that everything, including you and me, belongs to the Lord. The earth is the Lord's. We and everything in creation belongs to him. And and we all know that intellectually. If I just ask today, hey, do you believe everything belongs to God? If you're a Christian, say, yeah, yeah, God. But do we live with that reality on a daily basis is the question. Do I, do I see my world? Do I see the world? And say, the Lord owns all of this. And do I consider the implications for my daily life? The Westminster Larger Catechism in question and answer 15 uh, explains this in a very clear way. It asks the question, what is the work of creation? Answer, the work of creation is that wherein God did in the beginning, by the word of his power, make of nothing the world and all things therein for himself. So it's so important. Typically we affirm that God created uh, everything out of nothing. Creation ex nihilo, we say, is the Latin for that. That God created everything out of nothing. Yet we affirm that. That God did it by the word of his power. We affirm that. But we must affirm this other. That he did all of that, created that for himself. For the earth is the Lord's and everything and everyone in it. We do well to personalize that a bit. God created all things for himself. God created me. God created me for himself. He created all things for himself. He created me. He created me for himself. And this gets at the purpose of our lives. We we are created with a purpose for God. We're created to live for God. We're created to bring him glory. We're created to live all of our lives honoring him with gratitude for what 
he has done for us and living intentional lives with him in view, realizing that what we do, we do for him. This is what it means to be a creature who knows our creator, God. The New Testament teaches the exact same thing. Speaking of Christ as the agent of creation, this is what Colossians 1 says. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, speaking of Jesus here, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. That, that everything is created for him. Creation signifies God's ownership. We're created for him. He owns us. And I think so many of us need a revolution in our thinking where it shifts, where we shift from being the center of our world to making God the center of our world. That's a battle every day. It don't, doesn't just happen one time, but that's a battle every day. We, we need what we could say like a Copernican revolution in our souls. Copernicus was the one who uh, I guess popularized the idea, I don't, somebody may have had the idea before him, I don't know, but uh, that, that, the earth, that the sun doesn't revolve around the earth, but the earth revolves around the sun. So he, he brought this reality, he, he proved this reality that went against the way everything looks in life. I mean, it looks like the sun revolves around us. If you just look at the sunset and the sunrise, that's the perspective that people had lived with forever. Um, but he demonstrated that that's not the case, that the sun is central and the earth is moving around the sun. And that's the kind of thing we need to happen in our own souls, where we move from thinking God exists and I acknowledge him some, I go to him when I have a need, you know, I ask his forgiveness when I really blow it, um, I ask him to bail me out when things are tough, as if God exists for me. And God is just rotating around me with me as the center, looking for where he might contribute to my glory. <laughs> That's how some of us treat God as opposed to, I exist for him. The air I breathe is his air. The dirt I stand on is his dirt. The gifts and opportunities I have were given me by him. The relationships I have, he has entrusted those relationships. I don't own any person I don't own anything. He owns it all, and he's just entrusted. That changes. I am here for you. I exist for you is a revolution in how we view our lives. And though I battle that every day, every day is a, is a battle to say, Lord, you're central, not me. But there was a time in my life where I think that revolution sort of took place. It was when I was around 30, early 30s maybe, I had already been a Christian since I was 10, but so much of my faith, even into my 20s when I was seeking to actively serve the Lord, so much of it was about me. I began to study Reformed theology, began to understand the sovereignty of God, that he ruled and reigned. And all of a sudden, I just felt like I became much smaller in my eyes. Now, any given day, I'm huge in my eyes, and God's not even present in my view. Okay, that's the way I live oftentimes. But the reality is I did make a fundamental change where I began to see myself as small and God is so much greater. And we need that in our lives if we're going to mature at all in Christ, if we're going to understand stewardship at all. We must understand the greatness of God and see our own smallness, that we revolve around him and that that is a good thing, that he provides everything for us. 
uh, that the creation signifies God's ownership. Uh, but, but this God-centered approach to life is not only rooted in creation, but also in redemption. Because here's what happened. Adam and Eve got this, that God is central. They fellowshiped with him in the garden and had a perfect life until chapter 3 of Genesis, where they sin, they rebel against God. And in essence, what they're saying is, we want to be our own gods. We want to displace you, and we want to be the center. We want to determine, we want to know the right and wrong, determine our own right and wrong. We want to make ourselves the center of the universe. And so since that time, we've all been born with that natural inclination that, that God, if we even believe in him, that he exists for us, that we want to rule our own lives, that God is the one who bails us out when things get difficult. Um, but really, day to day, we live our lives about ourselves. We don't naturally come out of the womb and live our lives living for the glory of God. That's not a natural tendency. We live for our own glory. We'd never say it that way, but we live for things to go our direction, for us to write our own script of the story of our lives rather than submit to the creator's script for our lives. Because after Genesis 3, everyone is born with their will bent in on themselves, not bent to the glory of God, not directed towards love of neighbor, but towards ourselves. We grasp things in life as if they belong to us rather than to him. We put our hope in people and created things. We find our meaning in what we own and what we do rather than finding our meaning in God who gave us those things and gave us those abilities and gave us those opportunities. We, we, we want to feel good about ourselves by what we accomplish, and so we measure ourselves among ourselves, putting our hope in created things and created accomplishments rather than putting our hope in the God who created everything out of nothing. And so that is what sin really is. We don't want to steward his gifts. We want to own them. We want to find our happiness in created things rather than the creator. That's the bent of all of our hearts. And so we need to be rescued from ourselves. This is why God sent Jesus Christ, God, fully God and fully man, that he could come and live a perfect life and die on the cross for our sins. He substituted himself for us. He died in our place and was raised on the third day um, to rule as the Savior King. And so now if we trust him as our Savior, if we believe in him as the one who died to re restore us to God, to forgive us, but also this, to reorient our vision so that we now see God as the center of all things, and particularly Jesus Christ, our Savior, as the center of all things and ourselves as revolving around him. It's this complete change of orientation. We talk a lot about what happens when we're converted. We're certainly forgiven. We're given a clean conscience. We're certainly given the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, we're certainly become new people. We certainly receive eternal life. But we also are reoriented to the way things ought to be with God at the center. And that's something that happens when we are converted. So now, our lives as Christians are doubly meaningful. We live for the glory of our creator who gives us life, but we also live for the glory of God, our savior, who brought us back to him when we squandered what he gave us. He called us to be stewards and we squandered it and spent it on ourselves, but now he's redeemed us. He's brought us back. He's restored us. And so now we have a, a purpose to glorify God in all of life, the God who created us 
and the God who redeemed us. That's where we find our meaning. That's where we find our meaning. Arthur Brooks is a social scientist, and uh, he teaches a class on happiness at Harvard University. This is an interesting development to me. There's also a class at Yale on happiness, and if I understand correctly, it's the most popular class uh, to be taken as an elective in the entire uh, university. But he teaches a class at Harvard, and I read an article about it and, uh, in uh, The Atlantic, and he, he has this quote about meaning because he says that happiness in life is tied to having a meaning for your life, and I don't know that I would debate that. You know, uh, Happiness in life is tied to some degree to knowing uh, what our meaning is, our purpose is in life. And so this is what he says in the article. Here's a quick diagnostic tool I sometimes use to find out if someone has a good sense of their life's meaning. I ask them two questions. Why do you exist? And for what would you be willing to die? We'll take the second question. That's another sermon another day. Another day. But the first question, why do you exist? His hypothesis is this, is to the degree you have a clear purpose in life and meaning, you will genuinely find more happiness in your life. And and the, the truth is, this passage and the other scriptures I've read today demonstrate that we know as Christians, we forget, but we know what our meaning is. We are created for God. He owns everything. Uh, we are created for him, for Jesus created all things, all things are created through him and for him. So we were created to live for God, to bring glory to God, to take all that he entrusts us and to use it for him. And not only that, when we wrecked everything and didn't do that, he came after us in grace to draw us to himself. So we not only have the creator God that we live for, but the God who also redeemed us by the sacrifice of his own son, this incredible love. It's beyond worshiping the creator, this incredible love and grace extended to us. And so this is our reason, this is our purpose. All of it goes back to creation and redemption. God's uh, creation signifies his ownership, but it also signifies our purpose. The last point is this, that God's ownership signifies our stewardship. So creation signifies God's ownership, and God's ownership signifies our stewardship. He created everything, owns everything. Everything we have is from him, our mind, our bodies, our time, our talents, our treasures, our opportunities, our relationships. Paul makes this statement that I think is a great statement about stewardship in 1 Corinthians 4. Actually, it's not a statement. It's a question. I ask myself this, this verse, this question, fairly often. He asked the Corinthians, who really thought they were everything, uh, they were not really living their lives with God at the center, but themselves at the center, and he asked them this question, what do you have that you did not receive? What do you have? Did you create your own life? Are you sustaining your own heartbeat? Have you provided everything for yourself? Well, yeah, I work and earn money. Well, who got you that job? Who gave you the ability to work? It all goes back to the Lord. Everything we have, we have received. And so God's ownership signifies our stewardship. He owns it all. We use what he gives us for his glory. Stewardship doesn't minimize our value. It really maximizes it. To some degree, you think, well, I don't own anything. He owns it all. 
he's given me everything. At some level, someone might say, well, that means that we're not really that significant or our purpose is not that grand or our meaning is not really that wonderful. We're just dependent on him for everything, and so is that really great? But, but, but really, the, the truth is that he has entrusted responsibility to us, and we should be asking, what greater purpose could I have? What greater purpose could you have than managing the resources of God Almighty? Whether that's your home, your personality, uh, your intellect, your marriage, your job, whatever it is, your health. What greater calling is there than managing the resources of God Almighty? I mean, someone might argue that your meaning and purpose could be tied to what you manage. So for instance, in the steward account of I shared earlier of the Bible, someone might argue that my role is more significant if I manage an acre of crops for the owner uh, than if I uh, uh, manage half an acre. Um, that, that, that I have a more significant responsibility if I manage responsibilities for an owner who owns 40 acres or I manage a staff of farmhands the steward manages a staff of farmhands. If I manage 30 farmhands versus two farmhands, uh, I have a greater owner with more resources, and I get to responsibly manage more. Well, we're not talking about 30 acres. We're not talking about managing the resources of Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. We're talking about managing the resources of God Almighty. There is no greater responsibility, no greater privilege, no greater calling than to manage your home, your job, your possessions, your opportunities, your health, your life, everything that God has entrusted to you. That is our purpose. We belong to him. We will give an account to him because he owns us. This is what 1 Corinthians 6 says. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price so glorify God in your body. Now, there's a specific context to that, but the principle of that is you don't belong to you, you belong to him. So in the case here, he's talking about their bodies. Glorify God with your physical being because it's not your body, ultimately. It's, it's, it's been given to you, lended to you, to use for however many years you have to use whatever you've got with this body and many of ours, it's not what it used to be. But you use what you've got today for the glory of God. Bought and redeemed by the, with a price, the price of Jesus' blood, so that we're restored to him and called to manage what he has given us, to deploy the gifts that he's bestowed upon us because it all belongs to him, managing the resources he has given to us because it all belongs to him, knowing that one day we will all give an account to him for what he's entrusted to us. That's stewardship, but it's all rooted in this, in this truth that he created it all, that he owns it all, that we're dependent upon him, and that he entrusts gifts, abilities, resources for us to use. So how do we apply something that's admittedly, uh, I've not given you a lot of practical steps, how do we apply it? Well, we apply it by changing our view, by taking the lenses of creation and redemption and applying that to how we view all of our lives. First of all, celebrating God as creator. You know, in this coming week, I challenge you to look around you and consider the creation 
of God. See what he has created. Glorious what the Lord has created all around us. Now, I know that every survey, I don't know if you read these articles, but every survey I read, Frisco is in like the top five in every category. Best place to live, safest place to live. I don't know. One that we don't even rank in would be most beautiful place to live. Can we acknowledge that? No one has ever looked over the vast expanse of the Grand Canyon and said, wow, I miss Frisco, okay? Um, (laughs) But even here, you don't have the Grand Canyon, you don't have the ocean, you don't have mountains, but even here, we have gorgeous sunsets, do we not? Um, And we have grass and trees and I I challenge you just to look around and pay attention to the creation and realize God spoke all of that into existence by the word of his power and he owns it all. It's just helpful to value and have a sense of awe about God's creative power in the creation itself rather than taking it for granted. But move beyond that and take a inventory of your life. You know, oftentimes we're looking for what we don't have. Well, if I had this, I could do that. And if I had a relationship like this, it'd be better, I'd be happier, I'd be, you know, we can look at all the stuff we don't have. But I want to challenge you to take inventory of what God has given you this week. To look around at your possessions and think of them as God's because they are. When you go home today, take a look at his apartment or his home, his house, wherever you live, his condo, wherever you live. Take a look at what his place is like. When you get in the car today, Drive home and realize it's his car provided for you, his bank account, his furniture, his groceries that he's provided to sustain you, his computer, his smartphone, whatever it is you use. Think about what he has entrusted to you and and look to what he's given you beyond that. Thank him for things that aren't tangible like that, possessions, but thank him for your history, your training that you've received, the opportunities he's given you, your spouse, he's provided your spouse. We dare not take our spouse for granted for we've been entrusted this relationship from God to glorify him, represent him. Your job as you go to work tomorrow, maybe it's not your dream job, maybe it's not your forever job, but it's where you're showing up Monday morning And so look at that and say, Lord, you have provided this. May I steward every opportunity I have, steward my time, steward my work, steward my relationships at work for your glory. Look around at your friendships and begin to steward, cultivate those as gifts of God. Look around at your church, your community group. Next time you gather with your community group in that living room, say, this is a gift from God. This is not an obligation to show up on Wednesday night. This is a privilege to share my life as they share theirs with me. Taking stock of what God's provided. Make this a week of taking inventory and then asking God to give you new eyes to see what he's given you to steward and then to actually use it. Take stock, but ask God to enable you to use what he's given all that he's given you for his glory, to leverage every opportunity that he's given you, not complaining about the opportunities you don't have, but maximizing the opportunities you do have to love and serve others, to act to, to, in, in a way to bring God glory. Look around this week and see how can I invest my time, my talent, and my treasure 
to bless the Lord and to serve others? How can I generously give for what I have? A steward is to give generously of what we have because it's not ours. It's his. We simply manage it. And as we do all of these things, consider what he's entrusted to us tangibly and the things that aren't quite as tangible, gifts, abilities, stuff like that. As we do that and as we seek to leverage it for his glory, um, may we do so with faith, realizing one day we'll see him face to face. And on that day, may we hear from him, well done, good and faithful servant. It starts today. We've got a fresh day in front of us and a fresh week in front of us to steward what he's given us. Let's go into our week doing so. Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray for every one of us here today, and we just confess that we have taken things for granted that you've given us. Rather than use them, we've complained about what we don't have. Rather than thank you, we've grumbled for something else, another relationship, a different spouse, our kids to be different, our job to be different, uh, our finances to be different. We've wanted someone else's health and not our own. And Lord, we just have... We, we, we just take you for granted and then complain so often. We pray that you would help us see you as the creator, that you are glorious and wonderful, that we're dependent upon you, that you have created everything and called us to create in life as well with what you've provided. And Lord, we, we pray that we would do that in a way that honors and pleases you today. Please help us, oh Lord. Help us to go into our week being stewards and help us to prepare for a day to hear well done good and faithful servant, which can only happen by your grace. We lean into your grace. We lean into your mercy. And uh, we pray this week that, Lord, we would begin to cultivate new eyes and a new heart and a new purpose, stewards of the most high God. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.